0: Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 39. We're joining you every week to talk IT career, news, and opinion based on our points of view. I'm your host, John White, at The Journeyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, as always, Nick Cordy, at Network Nerd Underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, it's going great. I have hot coffee and I'm ready to go.
1: I want to make sure our listeners know we are VMware solution engineers looking to bring them the career advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. We hope our discussions will be relevant across disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey.
0: A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Great, Nick. Uh, this week, we're talking to Paul Woodward of the Explore VM podcast and one of his past guests, A.J. Kuftik. Uh Nick, what was the idea behind talking to them about this episode? You see how he threw that at me, folks? Well, John,
1: let me back up and give you the story of how that Explore VM podcast episode actually came to be. Back in the day, I was a newly minted V expert working at an SMB when Paul asked for podcast ideas. So, my idea was really more of an ask for advice. I wanted to know how to adapt your mindset and skill set while working as a customer in SMB to an enterprise after, you know, only having experience in the SMB. I think they covered it well, but after listening to that episode again, it really spawned a number of additional questions that I had. And since I recently made the transition to covering enterprise customers after having covered SMB customers, I thought it'd be good to have a follow-up discussion.
0: Yeah, I had that same reaction. Um, You know, we both came from small and medium-sized businesses and then transitioned to covering enterprise customers. So yeah, very similar stories. Uh, We'll make sure to link to that original uh, Explore VM podcast discussion. Also, I think they focused on the nuts and bolts of doing the job on uh, like, for example, designing solutions while we're more focused on the career advancement process. Um, so we could have them on to talk about how they uh, plan to make that transition. Uh, did we get there? I, I don't remember, <laughs> but here they are. Paul Woodward of Explore VM Podcast and interviewee extraordinaire, KJ Kaptek. All right, Paul and AJ, thank you so much for joining us on the Nerd Journey podcast. Hi.
2: Yeah, no problem.
0: Maybe uh, what we can do is have each of you uh, introduce yourselves and just say, you know, hey, this is uh, my name here. And then uh, just so uh, we can distinguish you know, between the two of you uh, for the listeners. Oh. Paul, can you start?
2: Sure thing. Hi, this is uh, Paul Woodward Jr., uh, as known as ExploreVM on Twitter.
3: And hi, I'm AJ Kuftik, uh, at AJ Kuftik on Twitter.
0: Awesome! And as we explained in the intro, you know, Nick and I have been big fans of the Explore VM podcast that that Paul puts out. And uh, you know, there's one episode in particular that we've referenced a couple times uh, where AJ was on and talked about the transition to um, enterprise from being like in a in a smaller, or medium-sized uh, environment. So, um, you know, before we dive into that and ask some of our follow-up questions, there, Paul, maybe you could talk to us about um, why you started the Explore VM podcast.
2: Sure. So, I'd been blogging for a couple of years leading into it, and honestly, I thought podcasting would be a little bit easier than sitting down to write a five hundred to thousand uh, word uh, post every week or a couple of times a week, uh, and that was not correct. It is. <laughs> it is uh, as much, if not significantly more, work to schedule guests, record, edit, post, keep up with the better technologies, uh, find new equipment. To, you know, make me sound better than uh, using my laptop microphone. Uh, so yeah, it was. It was a little foolhardy to think it was going to be easier, but it's definitely been enjoyable. It's definitely been a great experience, and I actually love doing it.
0: Nice. I, I have to, you know, agree with you. I think one of the things that has, you know, one of the things that I noticed right away was there was this entire like, you know, gearhead black hole that you can fall down. You know, mm-hmm. not only, you know, am I worrying about like my laptop and my desktop and my monitor and my phone. Now I have to, you know, become a gearhead about audio equipment and recording <laughs> equipment.
2: Oh yeah, and even in my my home office, I've got. Um, Some soundproofing foam all over the place and a nice looking pattern for when I do actually do videos Um, And try to do some soundproofing around my walls as well to keep the echo down and keep the sound of the cats around the house uh, from uh, popping up on the recordings
0: Nice nice So is there a a noticeable change in your career trajectory that you've noticed like since you started? uh, kind of doing the podcast
2: Um, so my career has definitely had some some ebbs and flows since I've started with the podcast. I I don't know if I would say it's definitely because of the podcast, but it's certainly not hurt my career. Um I'm I've made the move from a delivery engineer from SMB to large business, and now I'm actually a pre sales engineer that focuses on large business and enterprise. Um, and when, when I'm out there and I'm meeting new people, I do get the, oh yeah, I've read your blog or I've listened to your podcast, but also when I'm out there introducing myself, like, oh, I give back to the community. That's another reason why I started the podcast is because I want to give back to the community that has helped me grow. Um, so I'm like, yeah, you know, you can find me online. You can find all the stuff that I do. So I will say it's, it's not been, my career has not directly been affected by it, but it does, it, you it know, doesn't hurt it at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Just out of curiosity, how have people reacted to being guests like in the early days? Were they pretty open to coming on and and talking to you or did they have some hesitations?
2: You know, everybody that I've spoken to has been been pretty, pretty willing. Uh, It's it's a little bit new for some people. Uh, Some of my guests have been tried and true uh, old hands at the the podcast game. They have their own podcasts. Uh, But, you know, I'm just... Tell people relax. This is just going to be a casual conversation that I'm going to happen to record and broadcast for the whole internet to hear. So when it, when it when it's occurring, it's it's pretty. You know, it's it some 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 guests take a little bit of coaxing, a little bit of you know, just don't worry about it. We can start it again. And honestly, ten minutes into it, they're just chatting away. And what what makes being the host easy is I can just kind of sit back and let it record and let them do most of the work for me.
0: That's too funny. Yeah, I, I can see there's a there's a, a maturity that that happens over time, right? When you do things, uh, you know, repeat and uh, practice, and and uh, for a lot of guests, you know, especially in our industry, um, when you book them, especially early on, they might not have done much of it before, and so you know, the format is new, the conver- you know, that type of conversation and that kind of uh, um, interaction can be new, especially you know. It's the broadcast format as opposed to, you know, in a group setting, round table, even, you know, uh, kind of a, um, man, I have no idea where I'm going with this. (laughs) This is staying in. I, I, I see what you're saying, though. like.
2: To call somebody over Skype or you know the the platform you're using, the Squadcast, which I'm actually we're going to talk to you about off the air, I'm really intrigued by. Um, it's it's a little bit different than yeah, just talking to somebody at a at a VMug or at a conference. Um, there's there's just this air of my words will be kept after I say them. What if I sound? What if I don't sound smart? What if I put my foot in my mouth? There's there's this level that goes along with it. And trust me, I'm thinking about that as I'm speaking to you guys right now. So podcast it doesn't go away.
1: <laughs> yeah, no pressure.
3: You you've recorded things and now put them on the internet. People can find it now. Yeah. Oh
2: yeah, I'm out there forever.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I was I was thinking about the transition um after doing this podcast for a while, you know, you and your new role, not not really new anymore. Um you know, having gone through the transition that, you know, Nick and I and AJ have all gone through being in kind of that small business, medium sized business, you know, area, getting comfortable with it, and then transitioning to that, you know, enterprise size, you know, what has been your experience with that, like the, seeing the different patterns, uh, you know, the expansion, the growth, can can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Sure. For me, it's been each, each step along my way. Has been interesting there's different development that happens at the the SMB scale and at the large business scale and at the enterprise scale and I'm I've been in consulting for many years now I i started my first IT job was a very siloed um, identity and access management position and I don't want to go back to that I like the variation that the M, the uh, MSP in the VAR world gives me um, but with that seeing what goes on at each scale and trying to figure out the challenges that goes with that because you're not gonna encounter the same issues that you're going to, you know, when you've got a three host VMware cl- uh, cluster and that's what your business is running off of versus 300 in this data center alone and another 300 in your warm site. There's there's all sorts of different challenges that come up. There's new ways of uh, thinking, new ways of uh, doing everything realistically. I think that's just been some of the some of the best parts is just continuously evolving, continuing to learn. I I like to say I I, I just I, I like to keep learning as much as I can, whether it be about work, whether it be about um, doing stuff in my yard, figuring out how to fix a car, figuring out how to fix something. Always learning, I think, is um, a very key aspect of what keeps me happy. And I find that when I make these moves in my career, that's definitely something that comes along with it.
0: Yeah, I can definitely get on board with it. And it actually um, is reminiscent of something that AJ said in your original interview where he mentioned, Hey, you know, you're in your business and you see in your environment, one thing, right? And as it changes over time, you can see that change. But if you are working for an MSP or, or a partner or, you know, in some kind of consulting role, then you get to see lots and lots of different types of problems, and you start to see patterns in the types of problems that ha- people have, and you know you get outside of the the specific box that that you grew up in. Um, so it, it very reminiscent of that. I I would maybe you know only say that there's maybe other ways to do that, right? Like if you join communities and you see the types of questions that people ask in you know, online forums about their environments, then maybe you can see that type of variety too. I don't know if either of you have any experience in that type of thing.
3: Yeah. I mean, that kind of goes back to my, you know, my original days of being just like the general it person. And I've, I spent the, almost my entire career being a generalist. And it's only actually been in my last job in large enterprise where I actually got siloed. Um, You know, it's, by having that wider experience, I've I've spent the better part of you know my time in my current position being the translator, the person who could talk to the networking team or the storage team or the compute team, and I can have all these sorts of conversations and have almost like a, a you know a wider systems level thinking versus just this is VM things or these are networking things or these are just storage things, um, and it's interesting to see when people don't. Um, they don't necessarily understand uh that you can do more than one thing. Um and it's it's been super fun when you start talking about things like public cloud, where you have to know multiple things. You have to you don't just get to know VMs and and that's it. You don't just get to know compute. You have to understand like all of your flows and where things go and how they get there and what happens when they get there and where do they stay right? Those are the very simple ways to say, you know, here's our network flows. Here's how my storage platform works and all those other things, but where do they go? How do they get there? What happens when they get there and where do they stay? Are like the four questions you should probably ask yourself when thinking about one troubleshooting a problem and two thinking about any sort of overall, you know, architecture. And I, I think, Having a generalist mindset and coming from SMB, I think going from SMB and kind of meandering up towards large enterprise, you can have a a, a large impact just because you can say, you can speak the language of the various silos. Um, you don't have to necessarily, you know, you're not in those teams, but when I talk to the storage guys and I understand zoning at like their level, they go, "Oh, okay, I could talk to you in my language," and they get a lot more comfortable with you. Same thing with the networking teams. Same things with the you know the application teams and those sorts of things. If you're if you're an infrastructure person who's done any sort of like proper application development, and you talk to developers in their language, they're going to think you're an alien from space because there's very rarely do infrastructure people have that level of detail or that level of understanding of how application things work. Especially in large enterprise, they're very—they're—they're they're very much two different worlds. Um, so those are the sorts of—you know—things that I—I I, I think coming from the SMB and coming from medium business and into enterprise, you get that—that that viewpoint, uh, and that—that whole—you know—managed service provider, a partner world can give you that. Um, it may not always do that, and there's definitely people I know that are storage people forever, and that's their thing, and they really like it, and that's great. And they should be able to be happy doing the things that they want to do. But um, I think for, for me and for a lot of other people, seeing down the road and seeing what's coming, uh, if your Twitter timeline is all excited about some sort of new fancy technology, give it five years and you'll see it in proper enterprise. Um, so like, oh, the serverless wave is over. It's not. It's very much not over.
0: <laughs> you, it's only
3: over to people who are, are constantly shifting to new technologies it's only containers are only over to people who are thinking about constant technologies the difference is, is when it gets to large enterprise that's when it's really stabilized and there are products around it there are best practices established around it and people have learned where the landmines are and how to not step on them um was, so, you had a re- AJ, you had
0: a really interesting point though about those interfaces right? You have the silos and you have the interfaces between the silos. And I want to say that, you know, if people are looking for career enhancement, I think you made a really good point. If you're comfortable in those interface areas between like the, where like, you know, the, the two technologies have to hand off to each other and have to interact and you can be comfortable, you know, you don't have to be fully comfortable in, in as a specialist on each side, but if you can be that interface and and speak to both sides and, and you know help them come to an agreement about what it is they're going to do and, and make everybody feel understood, then you can just enhance your value in general, right, to your enterprise and, and to your career.
3: Right. And I it's one of those things about being a generalist versus being a specialist. There are people who are, you know, three feet wide and a mile deep. Um, I would prefer to be a mile wide and three feet deep. Um, Because then I can kind of slide back and forth and I can, one, this is where uh, I, as a uh, younger person, we don't need to get into ages here, but as a younger, as a younger person, I look at looking forward in my career and seeing multiple decades ahead of me and saying, okay, since technology moves so very very quickly how do i keep up with that how do i maintain my skill set how do i maintain what it is that i do and how do i shift with the industry so i don't get caught in any one place that then does actually get fully removed or that does fully deprecate away there's always going to be a niche somewhere right people still have mainframes hello my entire mainframe team um you know, mainframes still exist, AIX still exists, OpenVMS still exists, HPUX still exists, but it's in much, much smaller quantities. And as they start to go along and as there's fewer and fewer people to support them, then businesses will make the the actual move to move away from those platforms and they'll invest the effort. Lock-in is a myth and a dumb one. Um, I'd really dislike when people are like, oh, you'll be locked into this forever. Lock-in doesn't exist. It's the amount of effort it requires to move away from it. So if you have to rewrite your entire application, you're not locked into the mainframe. You're not locked into x86. You're not locked into storage. You're not locked into networking. It's just how much it's going to take for you to pick up and move off of it. Right? You know, it's it, things like storage arrays are really easy to move away from. Right? Because you can just pick your storage up and you're just copying data from one place to another. Right? And VMware made it really, really easy with storage vMotion. However long ago that was, I'm not going to get into the math of it. Um, file copies, same thing. Storage, storage migrations aren't fun. But they're not that hard refactoring an entire application or refactoring an entire platform that's a different story um but i i I really dislike when vendors use the term lock-in um it's a very silly construct to me Um,
2: those 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 same vendors when they talk about you don't want to get locked in are then trying to get you locked into their platform bingo so and that's
3: (laughs) not and by the way there's there's plenty of ways that lock-in exists um, and it all depends on how mad you are at said vendor. So if you have a very, very large contract or you've spent a lot of money and invested a lot of money with that vendor and that vendor makes you mad, you can throw away that investment. It's perfectly fine to do so. Um, but it, it's all a matter of, you know, how much effort is it going to take and what is the cost of actually migrating away from that thing? And maybe it doesn't take a year and you throw away a, a small investment. Maybe it takes five years and it's, you you know, as you attrition away, You know what that function is or what that you know investment was made to do Um, but you're right being able to interface in those sorts of middle grounds is kind of where I've made my entire career Um, and not being afraid to go into those things and maybe even be wrong Um, it's okay to be wrong it's okay to like have your opinion and have someone else have their opinion I get into various fun battles about fiber channel versus NFS sometimes um and why that's important or why it's not important or why it's a thing and why it's not a thing and you know people have their opinions on things and as the person who doesn't have to support the storage i just choose to say hey this is my opinion this is what i'd like to see if we don't want to do that that's fine um pick your battles kids and so you know, it's it's if when you get in those interface those interface areas, those those kind of nebulous areas of, you know, this is not really your team, this is not their team, it's the handoff area. That's that's where the actual design happens, that's where architecture actually happens. So
1: now when you when you were in the small to medium business world, would you say that more of those interface type conversations were with your end users and now they're with your greater team because by the nature of the beast the technology team is just larger because it's a bigger company
3: uh yeah a lot of those interface questions happen inside my head um i had to talk from one side of my brain to the other and <laughs> how do you want to do the storage well i think we should do nfs sounds great <laughs> great great meeting um i have a lot more meetings and a lot less conversations in my own head about it um it's a it, it changes it, it really does and this is where I think um, if you're by yourself or you work in a very, very small shop where you're doing a lot of the heavy lifting, you're just making all the decisions yourself or you're making them with maybe one other person and that's it. And so you are the interface. There, there isn't any sort of gray area there. Uh, as you move up, the, your ability to communicate becomes very important. Your ability to communicate properly and help people understand your side of it versus their side of it—that's um, where that's where the that's where the importance of, of communication comes into play. Because you you may not even get into technical areas. You may just be telling somebody, hey, this is the thing I'd like to do. Um, this is the function, and this this is the function I would like to perform. How do we all want to go about doing that? Right, and that's where you that's where you have the actual conversations to say, okay, well, the storage team wants to do the storage with uh, I don't know fiber channel, and networking wants to do this um, on these switches. Okay, neither one of those things impedes me from doing my function. That's the way they want to do things. Great, sold. Move on. In other instances, you may have to say, hey, this function that we're trying to do, uh, I don't want to run it on our existing storage arrays because that is that's a collision domain or that's a failure domain that I don't want to enter. So how do we define storage maybe separately? Is that a second array? Is that a different array? Is that a, a hyperconverged technology? How do you, how do we want to go about doing that to actually hit the need of what it is that you're trying to do? Um, and that's where you get into the gray areas. That's where you get into the, you know, how do you want to do this? Okay. Well, who supports that now? And now it's all people in process. and has nothing to do with technology. Um, and that's where the interfacing and, and, and being able to communicate properly, again, comes back. It's, you know, hey, this is what we need to do. Is this acceptable to you? Do you have a service? Do you, do you provide the storage or a, would you be able to support this need? No. Are you okay with me supporting this need myself? Yes. Great. And then we all move on. So focus on your interpersonal skills. Uh, focus on your communication skills. It's not all PowerPoints and Word documents. Sometimes it's phone calls. Sometimes it's meetings. Sometimes it's getting a coffee and just sitting down and hashing it out.
0: Paul, AJ touched on something there um, about, you know, silos. And maybe he actually said it explicitly and maybe it just triggered it in my brain. But um, it's something about um, the actual business goals of what's trying to be accomplished. In your experience, you know, as a contractor, you know, a consultant, uh, you know, in from that MSP world, can you, is, is that something that you're a little bit more used to seeing being hired by the business to accomplish business goals as opposed to being hired by like a technology department to accomplish a technology goal?
2: So when it comes to business goals, I, something I like to tell a lot of people, I've, I've mentioned it in some of my, my VMUG presentations, um, and I believe it's out there in a blog post or two is as much as we all love to play with technology, geek out. Our end goal as employees is the success of the business. We are all pieces of the business. Whether or not you want to be, whether or not you think you are, you are 100%. IT is a tool of the business. So when I come in and I I present a technology say, um, yeah, this product X might have all the cool bells and whistles and you know what, we don't need a million IOPS or you don't need the fastest, you don't need 100 gig connections between these these two applications. It sounds great, but what do you actually need? Taking time to assess what you need for the business to actually achieve the goal. I think that's something that people who, and I'm, I'm kind of speaking generally here, um, I've seen those who don't uh, get outside of their their sphere, those who are more siloed, they, they see these technologies and it sounds fun, This sounds awesome. And they, they they don't tend to think outside of that box of, you know what, I've got to help this business. it's This is completely new to what I'm working with. I really want it. When I can come around and I say, you know what, yes, it's great. But do you need that? Let's actually assess what you're running. Um, where are your actual pain points? It makes a little bit more sense to look at something that's maybe half the cost because it's going to do just as much. And it's going to help you achieve your business goals. And it's also going to offer new features that are going to help you lighten your workload so you can focus on other projects. Um, we are all part of a business. Yes, we're tech nerds. Yes, we're engineers, architects, uh, admins, help desk technicians. But we're all part of a business. And that's something that I think a lot of people
1: um, just don't quite like to hear. And Is, is that something that you had to spend a lot of time training yourself up on, Paul, that process of helping people get to the the real reason they're they're doing things in the IT department, or was that something that you gained knowledge of from prior experience before your current role?
2: So I think uh, for me it was – I was kind of fortunate that after my, my first stint on a help desk where I got to see silos and got to see where people don't – work across the business units or don't even say the networking team doesn't want to talk to the storage team, the compute team doesn't talk to the the applications team, it's very siloed. Um, I moved into an MSP, a small MSP, where we had a lot of uh, flexibility and freedom to learn and grow across um, all of the technologies that were offered by said MSP, but also to sell and work with businesses and sit and talk to C-level executives. Sure, there are smaller companies, you know, a few hundred or less, you know, a few hundred employees or less, but they're still chief, you know, CEOs. They're still presidents, vice presidents, people who are making decisions that impact the employment of many people. And to try and see that so early in my career, I think was a huge benefit because now I can take that into when I am working on a project or when I'm developing a solution and architecting a solution, I I think I was very fortunate to encounter that early on in my career, and I think it was very beneficial.
3: I mean, I, I'm going to drop my uh, I don't know. This is this is your your favorite my new favorite idiom. Just because you're not doing what they're talking about on LinkedIn doesn't mean you're wrong.
0: <laughs>
3: There's too many people who are like, if you're not doing. Hyper-conversion infrastructure, if you're not going to the cloud, if you're not doing containers, if you're not doing serverless, you're wrong, or you missed it, or your business is going to fault. No, it's not.
2: I was just going to say, I, I ask a lot of people when I get brought in to talk cloud, first thing I say is, why? What's the business goal? What's the goal? Yes, it's a fun technology. It's it's the future, air quotes. You can't see my air quotes. But why do you want to go to the cloud? You can't just slap an application up there. You can't just slap a VM into AWS or Azure. There's a lot of work and planning that goes into it. That yes. "why" question um, really trips people up.
3: Yeah, and I one of those things is, in as we've discussed this, I've I've specifically told people, I'm like, if you want to go do cloud stuff, that's fine, but you got to have a good reason. And that's not necessarily to like say my infrastructure is better than public clouds because it isn't. It's what are you actually trying to do? If you're just trying to run VMs, ah, you got a plan. I could deploy you a VM in like an hour. If you want, if you're trying to go use the actual services, if you're actually going to try and do the things that the public cloud itself offers, now you've got yourself a winning plan, right? And it's not just a matter of, I think there's a there's an escapism almost to public cloud, like oh this is a completely new thing and I don't have to deal with my existing teams. And there's silos anymore. <laughs> no, that's not the case. It very much isn't. And now now my processes get worse because um, <laughs> I have to figure out ways to protect our environment because you're now in a uh, you know in a more publicly available space. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're. Cloud v- that your VMs are going to run on public IPs all the time, but it means that you are in a more publicly visible area, right? It's not behind our four walls, and lawyers and auditors get kind of generally antsy when those sorts of things start to happen. So, I think for me, it's a do what do what's right, and make the changes that you want to make incrementally. You know, you don't have to move with the the trends, right? I, I look at like I'll just pick on hyperconverged infrastructure, just and I'm not going to name vendors because I won't, because some of them work here and some of them don't. Um, when I look at things like hyperconversion infrastructure, I have a lot of questions as to what it is that I'm trying to do, right? And what are my existing processes? You have to think about more than just this is the place where my bits get stored. You have to think about things like okay, well, what's my disaster recovery plan? What are my replication needs? How do I do the thing that I need to do? What is the business expecting me to be able to deliver? And can I do that with the native capabilities of the hyperconverged platform? Or do I need to start bringing in other things? And if other teams are managing those functions for me right now, is it worth me bringing on the operational headaches of, is it worth me bringing in all the operations around that? Is it worth, you know, okay, now I have to deal with replication, not them. Is that worth it? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And I, those are the sorts of questions that you have to ask yourself. And this is, again, comes back to the overall systems design and systems architecture. It's, you know, what, is this, what does that do for the business? Does moving it from a traditional storage array to a hyper storage platform actually change anything for the business? If the storage team is capable of delivering the storage bits at the speeds and feeds that the business is requiring for their applications, does it really matter? I would say, (laughs) um, and these are the sorts of things that I see, you know, there, there's all sorts of, you know, I don't want to say battles, but these, these sorts of, you know, discussions and arguments around what's the best way to do X, Y, and Z. We have millions of pieces of technology now, millions of, you know, all of these various trends and things that you're capable of delivering. It's what does the business actually want to do? And if you can't answer that question, you're wasting your time.
0: Both of you are touching on something there, which is, you know, maybe a change in thinking as one has to go from uh, a, like a smaller enterprise to a larger one, or maybe it's a role change, right? You know, like a um, what we used to call a sysadmin or what, you know, is more typically being called like, a you know, IT operations or system engineer uh, in IT ops or technology operations and more towards architectural thinking, like... Thinking about the business goal is something that, like, technology architects have to do and are more comfortable doing. And uh, you know, maybe this is a, a an overgeneralization, but but I, I've I've noticed that you know in siloed organizations, when people aren't thinking about, you know, people think about the goal of the silo and not the goal of the business. Like, you know, are we're delivering the baddest, <coughs> fastest storage? You know the the most elegantly designed network the you know the best virtual machine infrastructure and and that's not actually the goal of the business right the business doesn't (laughs)
3: care they really truly do not and when you start talking to the people who run the applications they care that the application is up and that it's not slow those are their two requirements generally Mm -hmm. Um, now you can get in all the sorts of speeds and feeds conversations you'd like to Um, but a lot of times the business is asking for things and their, their things, their speed is not necessarily the number, the, 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 the frequency of your CPUs or how fast your storage is. It's how fast can you get me the resources I need? It's how quickly can you deliver this thing? It's the go to market, not go to function. Um, and and I've, these, those are the meetings that I have to sit in. Around like okay, I need this many VMs, or we need to build this application, and here's what it needs to talk to, and and those sorts of functions. It's like, okay, I have all the capacity for that. Sure, just put the request in, let's go. And now we're built. We're rolling out a full automation platform, self service portal, where I'm going to go. Okay, cool. There are buttons here, and when (laughs) you click it, a VM pops out. Um, and those sorts of things are when I'm. And by the way, from an automation standpoint. I have wonderful people on my team who have written all the code. Um, And they're very, very good at what they do. They're very, very passionate about the code and the way that that happens and the way those functions happen. And I thank them deeply. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Brian. Um, But for me, I'm I'm looking at it from the outside. And I'm trying to position what an end user should expect and what the business actually wants, right? The business doesn't care what operating system version they run. They really don't. They don't care about how it's secured or what these, you know, functional settings are on the back end, so long as when they install their application it works and when the application is running, it doesn't crash. So these are the sorts of functions when you get to the when you get to that sort of architecture level and you get to a point of talking about business goals and business design, you're balancing what it is that you do on a regular basis because that's the stability of the platform and how you support it day in and day out. And you make it easy for yourself because trying to support a whole bunch of one offs doesn't work. And then there's also the side of the business is looking for things. You know, so you're standardizing things and you're trying to balance it out. And if a if a user comes to you and asks for a one off request, you have to figure out how you fit the one off in. And maybe you don't fit the one off in. Maybe you fit the you say, okay, well, maybe this is a new thing that the business might want. We actually had a user come to us and they asked for uh, CPUs that were faster. Than our like general purpose processors, we do like a 2.3 gigahertz processor, right? If you really want to get into nerdy things here, they said, we need three gigahertz or higher. And I said, well, why is that? And they said, well, well, you see, Mr. IT person, our application is single threaded and we can't take advantage of all of the cores. So we need the fastest CPU straight you can give us. And I said, well, okay, well, faster CPUs are more expensive. So how do I deliver those things? Oh, well, we'll buy the hosts. So they bought their own hosts with ha- that have faster CPUs. And now I have a different model, right? But this is where you start to look at the public cloud. So if you guys want to look at like how to properly design like data centers and offerings for your customers, just go sign up for an Amazon account and just start poking around. Um, I'm just giving you guys a free tip on that one. So you look <laughs> at things like here's a general purpose. Here's your general purpose VM. Here's your memory optimized VM. Here's your CPU optimized VM. And that's when you start to define some of your physical infrastructure on the back end and you start to optimize your costs based on that, right? So most of my VMs live in general purpose clusters, right? This is my standard Boeing 737 or, uh, I'm sorry, what is the Air, the Airbus A320? Where I'm not flying Boeing anymore. Um, that's a joke. The planes are fine, I think. Notice I said think. Um <laughs> But you have like your A-Bus A320, right? This is the same plane every single time. Your Ford Model T. Every single, you know, model off the line is exactly the same. But sometimes you need a bigger engine. And sometimes you need a bigger fuel tank. And so you start to modify those things to say, okay, well, is this a new offering I want to provide? Is there a licensing requirement around the CPUs? And maybe that's another offering you provide. And you start, to, you start to build the one-offs into new standards. And you start to offer those and say, okay, well, if you need this higher CPU frequency or you need more memory than, you know, my standard blades start to align up. Like, it's hard to have a 512 gig blade and a bunch of 128 gig VMs on it. Right? You're not getting great density. You're really scaling out all those hosts. You're spending a bunch of money on licensing. Okay, well, instead of 512 gigs, you go a terabyte and a half of RAM. But the only things that land on those are the big VMs. And that's where you start to balance those sorts of things out. The business doesn't care on the back end, but they do when they look at my cost of hardware and I'm not putting a terabyte and a half of RAM into every single one of my hosts. I'm not putting the highest, fastest CPUs into all my hosts and I'm balancing my hardware based on the needs of the business. And then when my cost comes back to the business, they don't get mad because I'm they look at they can look in my clusters and I can say this is where most of our stuff lives and these are the special case ones. And we're not putting the special, we're not making the special case into our standards. And they go, Oh, okay, cool. So we've actually had some of those conversations around chargeback and how we charge back differently and um, those mm-hmm. sorts of functions. But that that's the sort of thing that you have to get to. The business doesn't care what the speed and feed is, they don't care what all flash is, they don't know what that is they don't know that server 2012 and server 2016 have differences. And that server 2016 offers a number of, I think we lost Nick.
0: Oh, Nick is frozen.
3: Yeah. He said, "Agent John just disappeared. I see Paul and that's it. I mean, do you need anything else? <laughs>
0: Hold on.
1: You said they lost me, but I'm still here, John. Don't try to put me in my own silo.
0: <laughs> I think we had a bit of a split-brain situation there, but it's a good opportunity for us to make an edit and bring you the rest of the discussion next week. You, the audience, I mean. Uh, I know you already listened to it, Nick.
1: No, sir, I lived it. And you know what? Listeners actually live it when they listen to the podcast, and if you feel like you're in a silo today and you want to break out, you can live... The John White School of Mentoring. Send that tweet out to @NerdJourney today for pricing and packaging information. I'm excited for next week. I hope you are too. And just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at NerdJourney.
0: Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at VJourneyman for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore signing off. Adios.